The following audio is from LifeHouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. Who are you trying to impress and at what cost? Let me say it again because, you know, honestly, as I prepare for messages, I try to think of provocative questions to open with, and then I realize that you could probably spend a couple of days thinking about those questions, right? Like, that's true, right? Like, meaning if you think it, you're like, wow, that's actually, like, I have to think deeply about that to actually get a meaningful answer. And so let me just ask it again. Who are you trying to impress and at what cost? Let me, let me illustrate this uh, in maybe a superficial way. Uh, in the early 18th century, so that's like, you know, the early 1700s, um, Maria Gunning was known as like one of the most beautiful women in Europe. She was uh, a young woman in her early to mid-20s, and she was... To the and you know back then there you know there wasn't social media, uh, she certainly would have been an influencer. There wasn't like you know movies that were being you know everybody could just go watch and so you know like you had to go see her and so as a result people would flock to see Maria, to the extent that you know so this is London and so when she would go out for her daily walk in Hyde Park she actually had a military escort go with her. At what cost? Well. Uh, in the early 1800s, makeup that you wore was made with lead. Lead caused, you know, there's an acid element to it, and so it began to eat away at her face, and then so she had to use more makeup to cover the, um, the blisters and stuff that it was causing, and at age 27, she died from lead poisoning as a direct result of the makeup she was wearing. At what cost? Interestingly, she was not the only one at that time who died from lead poisoning. You may not know this, but Queen Elizabeth I, don't mean what you're thinking of Queen Elizabeth II, Queen Elizabeth I died also of lead poisoning for the same reason. Now, she lived a lot longer, but, uh, you know, because she didn't, you know, she didn't start wearing it when she was in her, her, when she was young, but when she started wearing it, it actually ended up causing her death. There are actually other very famous people that died uh, for the same reason. Well, fast forward several decades, and you get to the late 18th century and the early 19th century. So now you're talking about uh, colonial America, right? And so uh, makeup trends changed, and they began, and, and got a little bit cheaper so that, you know, a, a normal, you know, middle-class woman could wear makeup, and they would use beeswax. Beeswax especially to cover up all of the blemishes. And you go, oh, blemishes, what are you talking about? All right, well, remember, you're talking about an era when smallpox was a big deal, and so there was a lot of these pox in their face, and so they would use beeswax to cover up and smooth out all of the pockets in their face. So, and then they would powder over that to give it more, much more of a white complexion. And so then, if maybe you didn't quite get it all right, someone else might notice, and they're staring at your makeup. And an, a one woman might say to another woman, mind your own beeswax. That's literally where that expression came from. And uh, as once you put it on, you applied it, uh, it would harden. And so if you cracked, if you smiled, you cracked a smile. That's where that expression came from. And if you sat a little too close to the fire, 
Your beeswax would begin to melt and you begin to lose face. That's where that expression came from. So one woman might say to another woman who notices that her face begins to droop, hey, you might want to mind your beeswax. And there was a way of saying, hey, heads up, you might want to go to the bathroom and powder your face and clean up and pick up the droopy parts. So who are you trying to impress and at what cost? Here's what is clear. Whoever we're trying to impress probably reveals what or who we fear. So think about it. Um, when you get ready in the morning, how do you dress to impress or flex or flirt or post? Or what do you avoid? Or what do you not post? Because you want to make sure that people don't see that part of you or your life. And, you know, what, what gets photoshopped or filtered? What kind of filters are you putting on and Why? I mean, what are you hoping that people see and at what cost? See, what we, who, how we try to impress reveals what we fear. Who we try to please reveals who and what we fear, right? And so we can make this really practical and personal. Maybe, maybe you're somebody who is, um, you know, you're really paralyzed when you get into a group of people and, and you have a hard time in how you interact with people. Part of that, maybe, and again, I'm not, please, no, I'm not like calling you out. I'm just saying, I'm trying to get you to think, right? Like maybe part of it is that you, and there might be an insecurity there because you're, you're embarrassed or scared. You don't want to be humiliated. You don't want to, you don't want to lose face. You, you don't want people not to like you. Maybe you're trying to impress your friends and you're afraid of rejection. And that's very normal, right? I mean, nobody likes being rejected. Maybe you're working overtime. Maybe you're working overtime without getting paid. Maybe you're going above and beyond for a boss because what you value is your position and your paycheck. You find your identity and your self-worth in what you do more than who you are, right? So who I try to impress reveals what I fear and it comes at a cost. And that's true for every one of us. So let me bring you into this a story that's recorded in historical books of the uh, uh, historical books in the Bible, going back to the times of the early kings. And by the way, as I as I introduce this, I want to say like this is something that we're working on, right? Like you're not just going to suddenly fix it, and you're not going to just get it right every time. This is something that we're working on. Who we try to impress, at what cost, and what does that reveal about what we fear or what we fear most. And so as we jump into these historical books, I'm jumping into the story of um, the life of Saul, King Saul and David, who were the first two kings of the nation of Israel. The context is for the first passage I want to read to you is that King Saul was given a direct command when they went into battle, he completely disregarded and disobeyed the command, and now he is being confronted by the prophet Samuel. So here we go. We get to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. And then listen to his explanation as to why. 
I was afraid of the men, and so I gave into them. Let, let me unpack this passage real quick for you because it's going to give you some insights into how, who and how we try to impress, why, and what that reveals about what we fear. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. Literally, the translation there, again, this was originally written in Hebrew. And so if you go back to the Hebrew word, it actually means something like missing the mark. And so when we translate that concept of missing the mark, it translates as sin. Meaning I aim for the wrong thing and I hit it. And then when I try to aim for the right thing, I seem to fall short. And so Saul said, you know, I, I aim for the right thing and I fell short and then I aim for the wrong thing and I seem to have hit it this time. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men and so I gave into them. And that, that word, I gave into them, actually, the, it, really, a better translation would be something like, I obeyed them. I did what they commanded. And so here's what's going on, right? Saul, the king, ignores and disregards the command of God. He doesn't obey God's command, and instead, he obeys the people. Why? Because he fears the people. Why? because he's trying to impress the people, because what he wants most is for the people not just to like him, but to be impressed with him. And so he's afraid of them. He's afraid of what they think. And as a result, he obeys them rather than obeying God. Now that gives us reason just to pause, doesn't that? Man, maybe right off the bat, there's some caution there to say, if I'm really trying to get people to like me, do I have a tendency to do what they want rather than what? God wants. So Samuel tells Saul, you're going to lose the kingdom. You're no longer going to be king of the nation of Israel. Think about it. He just heard, you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose everything. And here's, listen to Saul's reply. I have sinned. I missed the mark. But please honor me before the elders, mean before the people of influence of my people and before all Israel, come back with me so that I may worship the Lord, your God. He goes, he goes like this. Hey, I know I blew it. I missed the mark. I aimed for the wrong play, target and I hit it. But please, let's just put on a show. Let's just put an Instagram post up so everybody thinks it's going really good in my life. Everybody thinks that God's blessing is still on me. Just come with me. Let's put on a show so that the people of influence think I still got it together. What? He just found out he's about to lose everything. And the only thing he cares about is, hey, how do I impress people? This is shocking. But yet it reveals so much about each one of our hearts. How many of us, something we did wrong gets exposed? And the first thing we want to do is just cover it up. How can I, how can I cover over? Why? Because I, what I really care about is impressing people. What I really care about is impressing the people that I like. And, and I don't really care what's wrong inside of me as long as people think it's right. Here's the deal. Saul, because he wanted to impress people, he desired to please people, which meant he feared people, and as a result, he obeyed people. Did you see the sequence? Now, let's, let's shift gears and let's look at David, because we're going to learn a lesson about how to get this right. 
And let me just say, David didn't always get it right. In fact, the story I'm going to share with you, he gets it wrong right off the bat. So to give it some context, uh, before the reign of Saul, there was a God had spoken to the nation of Israel that they were not living right, and God was withdrawing his blessing on them. And so one of the um, symbols of God's presence was the Ark of the the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of God's presence. And, and so they would carry it around almost like a lucky charm. Does that make sense? Like, they're like, here's God. And I, I, it wasn't this big, by the way. And, and you, you know, it was this large ark. Maybe some of you have seen Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. So you have like an idea, like, okay. And if you haven't, oh well. But by the way, a little teaser for a watch list. <laughs> okay, so they... What happened was they go into battle, the enemy defeats them and takes the ark of God's presence. So it's gone from Israel and the whole nation begins to mourn and grieve. Oh no, God is God. God, I mean, God is gone. The, the nation that took it, the Philistines, now they have this ark of God's presence and, and they don't know what to do with it. And, and when you've got God and you don't know how to handle him, things began to happen. And in fact, the nation, the, the women became barren. They couldn't have children. They started miscarrying children. People started having cancer, you know, like tumors and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and so then they, they don't want this anymore, but they're not really sure that it really is the ark that's causing all this problem. And so what they do is they come up with this idea. They say, well, let's, let's test it to find out if the ark is the problem. And so what they do is they put the ark on a cart and they, they have the cart led by two cows that had recently calved, meaning they have their calves right there. So what does a, 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 a cow want to do? She wants to nurse her calves, especially when they're like saying, hey, it's time to eat. They, they attach the cows to the cart, and, they, and they, the test was this. If this isn't really from the God of this box, then it, the cows are just going to stay here. But if this really is some divine punishment, then these cows will just go straight back to where they should go. And that's exactly what happens. These cows lead the car and the ark straight back to the nation of Israel to the closest possible city, which was Kirith Jarum. And, and so when it gets there, this is now you go to the time of Saul, nobody wants to mess with it. So they just leave it in the city of Kirith Jarum. Saul doesn't want to go near it. David, when he takes over as king, he goes, You know, there's something missing in our country God's presence. It's not that God isn't here, but boy, I really want the the ark of God's presence in the city of Jerusalem. And so he gets all the people together, and this is the verse. So we're going to pick up in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, and we're going to read. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord, our God, let us bring the ark of our God back to us. For we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul, and the whole assembly agreed to do this, because it seemed right to all the people. Do you see the little caution there? You notice what David's doing? He, it's good. He wants the people to be on board. But he's like, it seems right to them. Like, yeah, we want it to be God's will, but mostly it's what the people want. And so what he does is he throws a huge festival. Like, this is like the biggest religious holiday ever. And they get all the people and all the worship teams. There's huge music, and it's, it's this giant festival. And we're going to read a little bit about how that went. And when they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. You notice what was pulling the ark? The ark was on a cart and there was oxen pulling it. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck down 
uh, he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. And so he died there before God. What? This is like 2023 and Patrick's reading a verse about how God struck somebody dead because they touched the ark of God. This sounds crazy. Am I the only one that's like reading this and is like, this is a little weird, especially for a sermon today. What's going on here? All right, so God had given very specific instructions on how he wanted the ark of his presence to be handled. It was never to be touched. In fact, only, it was only supposed to be handled by the Levites, the priests, and they put holes through the ringlets on the sides of the ark, and then they had to carry it on their shoulders. It was not supposed to be put on an ark, and it was I mean, on a cart, and it was never supposed to be touched. So in essence, they completely disregarded the commands of God. They handled the presence of God the way they wanted to. They treated God as someone common. And the key here, the lesson that does apply in 2023, the lesson that does make sense today is that you and I are challenged to live in awe of God. There you go. In essence, if I were to give you the application, the front end is, who are you trying to impress? Let's live to impress God alone. We're going to be tempted to impress other people. But really, when I live in awe of God, I want to impress God and God alone. I care more about what God thinks than anyone else thinks. And the only way you get to impress God is when when you follow God, God's way. That's really the key of this passage, right? Like the key is, Like, we don't have an ark of God's presence. You want to know why? You want to know where God's presence lives today? Inside of people. Imagine your heart. Uh Uh-oh. Hold up. This gets a little bit, makes you a little nervous, doesn't it? Wait, wait, wait. When you believe in Jesus by faith, you know where the ark of God's presence is? Inside of you. Your heart is the ark of God's presence. So wait. Uzzah got struck dead because he touched in an unhealthy, inappropriate way the presence, the ark of God's presence, and it cost him his life. Maybe there's a little bit of a parallel here to how I handle my own heart, how I interact with God in my own life. Now, thank goodness that God is merciful and gracious, and we live in a time where Jesus came, he lived, he died, and he rose again in order to rescue us from the curse of sin. Hold up, I gotta pause there. Saul says, I sinned, I disregarded God, and I regarded what everyone else thinks. Well, you and I know that there's this same sin living inside of every one of us that causes us to disregard God, regard our own desires and wishes, and it causes us to pay more attention to other people than we do of God, and it costs us our life. Sin doesn't just kill you and you drop dead like Uzzah. You go into a forever without God, and so Jesus came from heaven to earth to rescue us from sin, to forgive us of our sins. Jesus died and he rose again, and in his resurrection, he gives us victory over sin and over death and over eternal judgment. So that when you and I believe in Jesus by faith, we are forgiven of our sins, we are given new and forever life, and God's spirit, which is eternal and invisible, comes and lives inside of our spirit, right? Suddenly your heart becomes the ark of God's presence. One of the other, the apostle Paul, after the time of Jesus says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And they would put the ark inside the temple. 
You're the place where God's presence dwells. So wait, wait, let's just think about how we should come into God's presence. If you fast forward again, past the time of, you know, time when Jesus walked on the earth, he died and he rose again. We get to a letter written to the church, the Hebrew church. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, it says how we should approach God. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably. What's the acceptable way to come to God? We worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Am I the only one that's like a little bit on edge when I hear that? Yet the idea of this is he's saying God is not some, someone to be trifled with. We come to God with awe and reverence. So that's why I said learn, we need to learn to live in awe of God. But the point is that you can come to God. You don't have to be terrified of God. God wants to have a deep, intimate relationship with you, and he wants his spirit to live in your spirit. So wait, let's just pause and time out here. You don't have to go through life far from God into an eternity away from God in eternal judgment because of sin. You and I can come into relationship with God where we can know God, be loved by God, have his spirit in our spirit, and learn to live in relationship with God. Can I encourage you, wherever you're at right now, God loves you. God is for you. God wants to be your friend, not foe. And the only step you can take is to receive. Say, Jesus, I believe in you by faith. Would you forgive me of my sins and give me new and forever life? And if you're making that commitment, would you let us know? We're gonna put the QR code up on the screen. And if you're saying yes to Jesus, would you respond and, and let us know that you're making that commitment. And when you scan that QR code, you fill out the form, one of our pastors will follow up with you and encourage you. And as I said, when you say yes to Jesus, you're forgiven. New and forever life is in your life and God's spirit begins to live in your spirit and something begins to happen. When God's spirit is in you, you begin, it begins to shift your understanding of God. It begins to shift how you speak to God and how you speak about God. Now, I've got, as, as some of you have figured out, I got a whole bunch of kids. Um, I have six kids, and every one, I mean, not, not very often, but every once in a while, one of them get a little bit mouthy. I mean, I mean not hardly ever. Thank you. <laughs> and they're here, so. But you know, like, every once in a while, I think they forget like, I'm daddy, and I pay the bills, <laughs> no. uh, or, or this is mommy, and she calls the shots, <laughs> and if you want to live, right, like, she has the right to say, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. <laughs> now, we're having a little bit of fun here, but uh, especially with my boys, especially if we're goofing off and we're wrestling on the floor, we're just having a good time, I think every once in a while they forget that I'm still daddy, and they treat daddy like he's a little brother, and they say something, and I have one of my boys, he's just classic at this. He just does some things that, let's just say he doesn't live in a whole lot of the awe of his dad. <laughs> Not a whole lot of awe of dad going on, and maybe a little bit of disrespect to dad, a little bit of dishonoring of daddy, and so every once I have to remind him who's in charge and 
who calls the shots. And so I bring him over to his mother and say, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you know. Um, so, you know, like dads have their ways of reminding their boys, I'm a little stronger and bigger than you. <laughs> uh, and even when I'm not, don't mess. All right, so, okay, here's the thing, right? Like even in human relationships, we have to be reminded sometimes about respect and honor. And we only learn that if we get it right in our relationship with our heavenly father. Now, I want you to know, I, I got you this point to say that what has happened in the past does not have to define you. What's amazing is that that is not how the story of David landed. If you, if you go back to the story of 1 Chronicles chapter 14, it kind of summarizes the, the, the after he gets it right. There's this verse. So David's fame spread throughout every land, and the Lord made all the nations fear him. When he got this right... It's amazing that when you live in awe of God, even people that you're not trying to impress will respect you. Listen to this. Some of you, this is gonna change how you interact with people at work. When you live in awe of God, others will learn to respect you because they recognize something about you that you're not living to impress them. You have a higher responsibility. So let's dive in. How, how do we get this right? I'm gonna give you kind of two complimentary ideas. The first is this, to live in the fear of God. Live in the fear of God. Now, I didn't say live in fear of God. I said live in the fear of God. Fear, right? And there's a healthy place for fear. We should teach our children, right? Now you can see where my brain's going, right? We should teach our kids, like they should fear fire, and, handle, and as a result, you handle it appropriately, right? You don't get too close to a bonfire or you'll get burned, right? Our God is a consuming fire. You, you handle fire an appropriate way. You don't play with matches, right? Like an ax, there's a right way to handle an ax and you should be afraid of mishandling it. There's a, there's a right way to handle a lawnmower and you don't get your feet too close. You should be afraid of what's going on underneath that mower because you can lose a toe, right? And so, but, that, but I'm not talking about Fearing God, we're talking about the fear of God, which is something different. David, when he got this wrong, he feared God. First Chronicles 13, verse 12, it says, David was afraid of God that day and asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? Because he mistreated God, he did not have the awe of God, he became afraid of God. Because he became aware of the holy, awesome power of God, but what he was missing was the enormity of God's goodness. But when he discovered an awe of God and began to live in the fear of God, he properly handled and respected God. So really what I'm talking about here is the fear of God is coming to God with reverence and awe and respect. He's not just the big guy upstairs. He is a holy, awesome God who is sovereign over all people, all nations, and all of history. With a word, he can create universe, the universe. With the word, everything comes into existence. If with the word, he can bring it into existence, just saying, right? So I come to God recognizing that he is altogether different than me. I, I am created in the image of God, but God is awesome. He is perfect. He is just. He is holy. And so as a result, I live in the fear of God. 
And so when you think about that, right, when we don't come into, when we don't have a proper fear of God, we, we can mistreat God, we can treat God as casual. We come to God way too comfortably and we mistreat the awesome presence of God. I, I, I love that you guys have probably heard me use this illustration before, but in, I, I love C.S. Lewis and his writings. In the Chronicles of Narnia, the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it's a story of these four children who enter into this, uh, this fantastic land called Narnia. And when they first get there, they begin to hear about the, the ruler of the land, the emperor over all of the lands, Aslan the lion. And when they first hear his name, they have like this like a little bit of fear. And so one of the children, Lucy, she says, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver, who's talking about Aslan, laughs and goes, safe? Of course he isn't safe. Who said anything about safe? He's a lion, I tell you. He's the king. He's good. He's not safe, but he's good. And I want you to know that some of you, you you've come to God, like thinking like God's like, this, like your buddy. And God is a friend. Is he safe? No, I don't think so, but he's good. Some of you, you're going to have to wrestle with that a little bit. Um, a great leader in the early church, um, his name was John Marr, uh, was known as Lord Lawrence. There, his bust meaning a statue of his head and his shoulders is in the Westminster Abbey. And there's an inscription underneath it that says, he feared man so little because he feared God so much. I think that here's what happens. When we develop a proper awe of God, we don't have to live scared of anybody else. Like really, I don't care what you think because I care what God thinks. I don't have to sit around worrying about trying to impress you because I'm focused on impressing God. And the only thing I can do to impress God is to live in obedience to him and live to love him. And that leads to the second part, which, which I'm going to give this to you briefly. But it's this. When I, when I live in the fear of God, then I can live in the fascination of God. This is really about worship. I can live in love with God. When I come to God as holy, then I can come to God in worship. And so as we go into this, let me just read a little bit more of this story to you. This is... Um, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now David gets it right and he wants to bring the ark of God's presence in. And so it reads this way. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom. Meaning he was scared and so he left it in that place where Uzzah died. But God began to bless that place and everything he has because of the ark of God. And so David became jealous and said, I want God's presence in Jerusalem. And so if we jump over to Chronicles, it says this. So David after David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord, to minister before him forever. David assembled all Israel in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to the place he had prepared. And then we continue to read the story. It says this, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf, wearing a linen ephod. David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might, while he and all of Israel, uh, with, with he and all of Israel, bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and a sound of trumpets. And you get this picture that David has discovered that when he comes to God with respect and reverence, then he can live in the fascination of God. 
more than standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and being awed by the wonder, the depth, and the beauty of the canyon. You get the privilege. When you come to God with a right and sincere heart, you get to come to God and look out at the immenseness of God's goodness, the enormity of his grace, the greatness of his compassions. When you begin to read through the Bible, you read through some of the Psalms, you see this. David is overwhelmed with fascination of God because his heart was right. And when his heart was right, he he lived in an awe of God, which is fear and fascination. And I, I want you to, when you worship God with the right fear of the Lord, then you can enjoy God's presence. For some of you, the reason why you don't sense God's presence, I'm not saying this is true for all of you, maybe even not for most of you, but some of us, There are seasons when the reason I I don't sense God's presence in worship is because I'm not living in the fear of the Lord. I've been treating him way too casually, way too comfortably. I've I've been kind of treating God like my buddy, and I forgot that he's an awesome God who I have to come to him in reverence and awe. But when I do, when I have a healthy fear of the Lord, then I can come to him in worship and the fascination of God and blessing and favor and goodness come over your life. In fact, I want to take a moment right now. Here's how I want to conclude this message. I want to give you some space to reflect, just to let God speak to your heart. And so what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to go ahead and put a a picture, an image up on the screen. And what I'd like you to do is you're looking at this image, right? So it's a picture of Jesus in the boat with his disciples in a frightening situation. There's a storm that seems like it's going to devastate them. It's going to cost them their life. Where do they place their fear? They feared the storm. But after Jesus calmed the storm, they learned that really what, they didn't need to fear the storm. They became afraid of Jesus. They went, who is this? Who can calm even the storms? See, when you have a healthy fear of God, you don't have to fear the storm. And so here's my encouragement to you. Where are you in this picture? Where do you see yourself in this picture? And then as you're looking at that, I want you just to think about what what does God want to speak to you in the midst of your storms, in the midst of your troubles, about how you can trust him, how you can come to him. And and then what we're going to do is I'm going to read a couple passages of scripture over this. You can read along with me or you can just listen. They're all about this fear and fascination. Listen, this is written by David. Psalm 25, verse 12 through 14. Who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. When you fear God, he guides you. They will live in prosperity and their children will inherit the land. The Lord is a friend to those who fear the Lord. He wrote this, Psalm 34, verse seven. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Psalm 85, verse 9, surely his salvation is near those who fear him. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. It reads in Psalm 145, he hears their cry and saves them. David's son Solomon wrote this, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And if you jump ahead to the story of the early church, says this in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the, church, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. 
Would you let me pray over you? Heavenly Father, thank you that you didn't crush us, destroy us, or distance yourself from us, but you invited us close. And we can come close to you through faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And when we come to you through faith in Jesus, we're invited into the family of God. We're invited to be a friend of God. But Lord, give us right hearts, hearts filled with both the fear and fascination of you. As we learn, learn, we're working on this. As we learn to live in awe of you. God, I, I just, I wonder what the church could become if many more of us were vastly more concerned about what you think than what anybody else thinks. If we feared you more than we feared anyone or anything, and if we lived to impress you more than we lived to impress anyone or anything, if we lived to please you more than we desire to please anyone or anything. So God, at least within Lifehouse, would the people of God have a desire to please you, to live for you, to love you more than anything or anyone else? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.